0: Hey, Chris. How's it going, my friend?
1: Very good, Sean. Thanks for having me on after all this time. Oh, you are welcome. Can you just (laughs) tell the viewers a little bit about you first? Yeah, sure. My name's Chris Atkins. Uh, I'm a documentary filmmaker and author. And I I, I suppose I hit the headlines because I went to prison uh, about, oh God, was it about seven years ago now? Um, For tax fraud. So in 2016, uh, I got a five-year sentence served two and a half and after I got out I published a diary about my time inside which is called A Bit of a Stretch uh, which is uh, which is a bestseller in 2020. Yeah and congratulations on your new book as well. Yeah so I've now got a new book coming out called Time After Time which I have right here. I love a bit of orange yeah. There we go yeah well it's orange is the new black is I think the uh, (laughs) the thing they're going for here I have a hold of here here we go that's better what what manner of tax fraud did you commit, Chris? What manner? Well, if if you want to get specific, it was conspiracy to cheat the public revenue. That was the particular flavor. And I um I was basically making a film, and in in order to get the funding for it, we uh, accessed one of the particularly naughty tax funds that were helping celebrities and bankers uh, avoid tax by funding their money through. Film production. Um, and so we had a real film. The film was real. But the funding, unfortunately, was uh, a little bit dodgy. And the um, uh, HMRC got quite upset about that and prosecuted everyone involved, including me, um, in back in 2016. All right. So there was a
0: program set up whereby investors could put money in and get a tax write-off. Is that yeah. what it was?
1: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And that was legal, right? Yeah. <laughs> They say, you know, what's that difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion is the uh, is, is the width of a prison cell. So there were schemes that were set up. There were legitimate schemes. But people tried to push the envelope, as they always do, and uh, and sort of take it further than was allowed, shall we say. I mean, it's all very technical and boring, but basically the, the, the people who we ended up getting into bed with were really pushing the envelope right over that line into illegal tax evasion.
0: And because you were a co-conspirator,
1: you were therefore liable for however far they went. Exactly. I was kind of tail end Charlie getaway driver, but I was uh, (laughs) I was hung up with the conspirators um, and and sort of had to take the hit, really. And, you know, we knew it was a bit dodgy and we went along with it. So I don't sort of do any self-pitying sort of, oh, God, it, it shouldn't have happened. You've just got to put your hands up and accept the consequences. So through
0: interviewing ex-prisoners and, you know, living with prisoners, Mm. you found some patterns of behavior. What piqued your interest there?
1: Well, I I, I guess the the new book is really about the cycle of crime. Because for me, prison was a one-time only experience. Um, And uh, what surprised me was after I got out was seeing lots of the friends that I made while I was inside and lots of contacts because you know i was inside for two and a half years so i met a lot of very interesting people and 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 it was how a lot of those people who got out would quite quickly go back in and then get out and go back in i'm sure you've you've seen this as well and 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 it's you've got this cycle of crime which is this just perpetual perpetual system of reoffending where the system doesn't actually help people escape the criminal justice system and actually start it, it actively sort of sucks them back in and so that's what the new book's all about
0: do you think that cycle of crime is perpetuated by the government acting in the interests of private prisons, prison unions, et cetera? I'm talking about in, in America. It's a mm. big time over there, it seems. Um, you know, where I was housed, it was drug and gang infested mayhem. Where when was they were that? Released in, in Arizona. Yeah, When yeah. they were getting released, they gave them $50, say, have a nice day. And as soon as they come back, Sixty thousand dollars of taxpayers' money per year per prisoner to house them, so is that is it is the similarities in the u k system that you noticed
1: yeah, I mean you do have a, a, an abundance of private companies who seem to be very very well out of um rehabilitating our um rehabilitating our sort of criminals and a lot of the things they do don't really help in fact, in some cases, some of the things they do actually make things worse for people so there is a big profit to be had and i think what i'm looking at particularly this time is the probation system and probation are there to supposedly look after prisoners when they get out and keep them straight and narrow and sort of funnel them away from crime and a lot of those probation services were privatized back in um 2012 by our friend chris grayling who's one of the more catastrophic government ministers we've had in recent years he famously uh gave a a ferry contract to a company that didn't have any ships when we're going through the Brexit preparations. Um, and the privatisation was deemed to be so bad as they actually cancelled a lot of the contracts and took a lot of probation all back into state hands again a couple of years ago. And they think it wasted about half a billion pounds. So, yes, I do think that there were, a, a lot of it was about private companies making money and actually their sole interest is profit. It's not rehabilitation. It's not for the good of society. They've got a bottom line and it's their shareholders.
0: Yeah, I mean, what kind of scumbag bans books from prisons? Well, yeah, that ban did not last, no. but it's a basic human right. How are you going to educate people if they can't mm. bloody get books? What a swine! Um, okay, so you saw that the reoffending, you know, was was prevalent, very prevalent. Yeah, forty-five percent of adult ex-prisoners reconvicted in a year of release. What other factors played roles in that other than the government
1: profiting from it, parasites? Um, (laughs) uh, I I found lots of factors. Um, And and in some cases, you see these factors, you know, happening over and over again with people that I follow in the book. So the book's really about me following people I met in prison uh, or or, or shortly after I got out um, over whole several years so i was able to 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 look at their stories over five six years in some cases um and the the big one for me is housing is the fact that when prisoners get out when most prisoners get out they don't have anywhere to live and as you said in arizona they get given fifty dollars in the uk i think it's now about 75 pounds that they get given um and if they've got absolutely nowhere to live it's sorry about that chum you're going to go onto that park bench and prisoners who are released without any stable housing are far, far more likely to reoffend. So I was following one guy, a guy called Simon McClellan, and he's had over 70 offences to his name. Most of them low level. Most of them involving shoplifting or break-in entering or drugs. Primary reason is he isn't given anywhere to live. And weirdly, it's on his license conditions. So when he's released on license, one of his license conditions is, is he can't be homeless but then they don't give him anywhere to live. So he's then shortly arrested for sleeping rough because he's banned from being homeless, but we don't give him anywhere to stay. And that kind of person is just keeping our prison system full to the gills. And it'd be easily fixed by just giving people when they get out somewhere safe, clean and stable to live, not forever, but just for a couple of months until they get on their feet. So it's simple things like that will make a huge difference. But I think there's not really the political will To do things like that, because it's sort of seen as in the right wing press as like rewarding criminals by giving them somewhere cosy to stay.
0: I wonder what you think about the role of the war and drugs and all this, because where I was housed, ninety percent were injecting drugs, heroin. They they had crystal meth being brought in, and the guards were bringing it in. You know, we interviewed one guard; his salary was eighteen k. A year and the gang was paying him 500 pounds per package. That's in this country, and he's bringing up to three packages a day. So, I was wondering when I got in there, I so saw most people in there for drugs, and there's more drugs in here than anywhere on the face of the earth. Yeah, what is going on? Did you experience that in the UK?
1: Oh, god, yeah. I mean, when I was in Wandsworth, it was far easier to score drugs in prison than it was on the outside. Um, and you would have dealers standing by the meds hatch, I'll never forget this. where prisoners would begin ge- being given medication a lot of the time heroin substitutes or um uh, 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 drugs to help them combat their heroin addiction and and the dealers were standing there literally buying them off them the second that they were given their meds and then going off to sell them to other people and and you know you could get crack or heroin within literally minutes in that place because what you've got is is a prison like once the prison had about 1500 men in it you know half of them are drug dealers The other half are drug addicts and you've put them all in one place and no treatment whatsoever. And surprise, surprise, there's a thriving drugs trade. So yeah, drugs, are a horrible, horrible part of it. And the sort of war on drugs approach, which is all about penalty and very little about treatment is, is obviously fueling that. So do you think
0: there's a huge section of the prison population, then you said it was half addicts that could be referred to mental health and counseled and Mm -hmm. encouraged to get off the things
1: rather than housing them where all the dealers are. Absolutely. And, you know, you've you've hit another big area there, which is mental health. You know, and they're all kind of intertwined. So you see people who um, have very serious mental health problems. That's one of the reasons that they've offended and they've been sent away. And then they're locked behind bars. They're not given any mental health treatment because they're not deemed to be risky enough. And then they self-medicate. They self-medicate with spice, which people who don't know. It's synthetic cannabinoid. Um, and and people take that as a way of dealing with their with their issues. And of course, it makes them worse. So the the the, the, the drugs and mental health thing are both completely linked. Um, some people do get some mental health treatment in prison. Eventually, it's not much, but it is there. What I've found with um, a, a lot of the correspondence I've had with people who've been inside is that they they're terrified of getting out which you think is odd. Like, I couldn't wait to get out of prison. I'm sure you were the same. But some people are really, really scared of getting out because they're thrown out on the streets and then they stop getting the treatment. So if they're on medication for their schizophrenia, for example, sometimes quite you know heavy antipsychotic medication that keeps their symptoms suppressed, they're suddenly thrown out on the street and they've then got to wait weeks to go and register for a doctor and get a new assessment and get the new medication set up, by which stage they've relapsed, by which stage they've had an episode, by which stage they've Gone back to prison, so it's it's even when there are some help inside, that help actually ceases the day they walk out the door.
0: So tell us about some of the characters in your book. Then you had a guy who was pretending to be the Duke of Marlborough, didn't you?
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. I've I've ended up focusing, as, as as you might expect, on some of the kind of weirder and more colourful characters that I met along the way, um, and and like a bit of a stretch, in my prison book. I've I've tried to keep the tone light. Because it can be really, really dark, and that puts sort of off a wide audience. Um, and 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 criminals, I find are inherently funny. I mean, because they're often not very good at what they do; they're often pretty crap at crime. And so, just following their stories has is, has is, is given me a lot of uh, a lot of entertainment. But yeah, there's one guy called um, Alex Wood, uh, and he he's not your run of the mill criminal. Uh, he he was a, a, a virtuoso violinist as a child. He was a child prodigy, and and. Played on the Harry Potter soundtrack and has played with Elton John and gone all around the world with these top orchestras. But um, when he was in his twenties, he got RSI, which is repetitive strain injury. So he couldn't he couldn't play the violin anymore, and he had this kind of complete mental breakdown, and ended up becoming a con man. He was a he was a card counter first, he became a card counter, and then became a con man because he's exceptionally convincing. And, and And he he would walk into hotels like not Holiday Inn, but like Claridges and the Savoy and say, I'm Jamie Spencer, the 15th Earl of, of Marlborough. Um, sorry, Duke of Marlborough, I should say, the Duke of Marlborough. And 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 they would believe him. They would completely believe him and and give him the, the royal suite and full room service, you know, caviar, champagne, cigars. He'd stay for five days, getting hammered, basically, walk out the door and then walk to another hotel and then do the same thing. He was just doing this constantly. Around London, and he'd go back to the same hotel several times, and uh, and 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 live the life of Riley. It was quite astonishing, and he Some got were caught. They co- he were got- they comping him, or were they just yeah. was he running up bills? No, 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 no. They weren't comping him. He he was just running up bills that were never um that were never paid, or, or maybe they were being paid. Maybe we're not entirely sure. Maybe they were being sent to the real Duke of Marlborough, and he's he's did he get caught? Just paying them. Um, he got caught because he started getting so drunk he was buying drinks for other guests. I mean, it's, it's a really terrible thing to do if you're a con man. You want to think you just want to keep a low profile and not draw attention to yourself, but he couldn't. He couldn't help himself. And he, um, he 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 got. They googled the real Duke and he got caught, and and he got arrested. He was charged. He was released on bail. He walked out the police station at one in the morning. He didn't have anywhere to stay, so he walked straight into another hotel. Gave them a fake name even though his face was all over the news and got, and got away with it, just a different fake name. He kept doing that. He then got caught again. He got remanded to Wandsworth this time. And that's where I met him. Now there's a twist to this, which is while he was in Wandsworth, he met one of the biggest cyber fraudsters in the UK. This is a guy who'd been inside for one of the, I think at the time the largest banking fraud ever. It was over 115 million or something he'd stolen. And Alex met him and they got talking and they'd never have met. If it wasn't for prison, they'd never have crossed paths. And they got talking. And they actually then got out at the same time. When they got out at the same time, they went off and immediately entered another terrible, terrible crime wave and ended up stealing about 50 million. Ruined dozens of lives. And 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 it was this whole idea of the school of crime that they were forced together in this environment and they both learned from each other.
0: The cyber crime guy, his,
1: his name isn't Tony by any chance, is it? It wasn't Tony. Okay. Um, he was called M- M- Muhammad Azhar. All right, you've got a question that's Um, coming here from Jake.
0: If the current system is not working, what purpose should prison
1: serve? That's a really good question. I mean, I think prison can work if it it serves more than one purpose. The moment its purpose is purely punishment and retribution. And I think it it needs to have an element of that. This is someone who's been to prison. But it it should also have an element of rehabilitation which is not doing at the moment. So if you look at the Nordic system, um, you the reoffending there is less than uh, half the reoffending rate in the UK. And the reason for that is they really put a huge focus on training and education. So people will go to prison in Norway, having had a terrible life beforehand and ended up in crime. They'll then spend three or four years in prison. They'll walk out with a degree or with a a training qualification in repairing motorbikes or something which means they can walk out and they can get a job because we all know that prisoners who leave prison and go into a job a paid job legitimately paid job far 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 less likely to go back into crime so the society has accepted they need to do something with these people while they're locked up to make sure they don't go and commit more crime and create new victims and that's just not what we do in the uk we just put them in prison and brutalize them as much as possible and then act surprised when they come out and do it all over again
0: and it's a shame we're not following the Scandinavians. We're following the Americans because exactly the same mm-hmm. companies are laying down the political contributions. The private prison contracts are in the tens of billions
1: a year alone right now in America. Well, and it's they, some of those so- same companies that bid. When they privatized the probation service in the UK, it was American prison companies that bid and won those contracts. So when I was released, I was supervised. So I get my inverted commas right. Supervised. London CRC which is a private probation company which is owned by an American company my supervision was about a three minute phone call once a month with someone I'd never met and it, it, it was nothing there was no supervision there was no assistant there was there was nothing going on and 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 they were collecting money for me being paid for by the British government which went to an American company supposedly to rehabilitate me
0: so just to add a bit onto Jake's question then, if the current system is not working, what purpose do prisons serve? If you go back millennia, crime has been defined as person A, harms person B, murder, robbery, rape, etc. Mm. Once the war on drugs was introduced, you had the mass incarceration of the lowest hanging fruit, low-level drug users. Mm-hmm. If a young person gets busted with the green, for example, put in a prison, who's that person harming? I think the whole purpose of prisons has been subverted by the war on drugs and the yeah. profit incentive. They're saying they've not got enough... Um resources to go after the adults who are attracted to kids because they've mass incarcerated all these low level
1: drug users it's obscene yeah. and 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 society isn't being helped by it because people come out and then they just they go straight back into it there's a lot of evidence that shows that people's drug problems get worse in prison, so people go inside and the the problems that they had that sent them away, which is we were talking about earlier, drugs and mental health and housing. It's my third. All those problems get worse while they're inside because if they had a flat, that's gone. They're going to get evicted because they're not there. They're not paying the rent. If they had a drug problem, it gets worse because suddenly they're locked up all day with nothing to do and spice dealers literally knocking on their cell door, offering them stuff. Now, the mental health problems, well, guess what? You lock someone in a room for 24 hours a day and don't let them out. That's to make the mental health problems worse. All those problems get worse. So they walk out much, much, much more likely to reoffend. When when they get out than when they went in, so it's almost. I describe prisons like um, like a school that makes people less intelligent, or a hospital that makes people more poorly.
0: So you've got a question from Diane, and Diane is wondering why when someone gets sentenced in the UK they only serve half of it.
1: Yep. So How I got sentenced to five years, and I served two and a half, and that's the true. And ninety percent of all crimes, that's that that happens. It's like a fixed rate thing, and it's crazy, isn't it? Because you think, oh, five, but actually, but you're only serving two and a half. Well, you know, what's going on? So the idea is you spend 50% of it in custody and the other 50% you spend um, out in the community being rehabilitated by the probation service. And it's that second half that I look at in my new book, Time After Time. So my first book was about the time in prison. And then the second book is about, well, what's happening in the community and why is that going so wrong that so many people get get sent back to prison? When you're released halfway through, you're released on license. So there's a piece of paper that you sign that says, I agree I will not commit any more crimes. And I agree I will see my probation officer once a month and I'll stay away from Leicester because that's where I killed someone. Or, you know, you have this list of conditions. And one of those conditions is you shouldn't uh, engage in any bad behaviour. But bad behaviour is so broadly defined that literally anything can get you sent away. So one of the contributors in my book, a guy called Ed Cooley, has been recalled to prison four times since he's been released. He got released, I met him in Spring Hill, so that was my last prison. He got released at the same time as me, and he's been recalled four times now, but not once with any new offending. It's all because the police think he might be doing something or he might have have said something to the wrong person they don't like, and so they recall him while they investigate a new crime. They realise that there isn't any evidence to charge him with, and so they, they let him go nine months later. A month later, they think, oh, no, he's being a criminal. And they recall him again. He spends another year inside, realise though, he hasn't done anything wrong, and they let him out again. So it, it, it's quite a shadowy way that the authorities can use the recall system to put people away without needing to bother with a lawyer, a judge or a jury or anything like that. They can click their fingers and people go back to prison. So the, 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 the halftime thing is crazy. It doesn't help anyone. And the public and victims hate it because they thought, Oh, I thought he's going away for ten years. Why is he out after five? It's, it's it's a really crazy system.
0: Did you see anyone suffering the recalls in the IPP
1: sentence zone? I did. So one of the other contributors in my book is called Joshua Goff, and he was he's an IPP prisoner, and he got out in twenty eighteen. But then in twenty nineteen, he was recalled to prison. Get this because um, his probation officer thought he'd been to a party inside his exclusion zone. And he wasn't supposed to go inside this exclusion zone and certainly wasn't supposed to go to a party. So he was recalled simply for going to a party. And Josh has always maintained he didn't go. And I've since looked at this and picked it all apart. The police didn't even arrest him because they said there's no evidence here that he was ever in, in this party. All the witnesses were drunk and withdrew their statements. Um, but because of that, he's, he's inside now. So he was recalled in 2019 and I was messaging him yesterday actually and here we are in 2023, over four years later, and he's still in prison four years later for being recalled for being at a party that he didn't go to. So, it's yeah, the, the IPP system is bonkers because you can be recalled indefinitely for anything.
0: It's obscene. One of our very first podcast guests, Pepsi Watson, who was camp- got out and was campaigning against the IPP, that he got recalled. And he's still in now and he's gone through absolute hell. Oh, it's, it's oh. awful. Next question is from JD. Did you serve in an open prison?
1: And if so, for how long? Yes, these are all good questions because I talk about all of this in time after time. So in uh, a bit of a stretch as I talked all, it's all about Wandsworth. So a bit of a stretch is nine months in Wandsworth, Category B prison, absolute madness. And I then actually spent the rest of my time in custody. So another 21 months at open prison. But I didn't put that in the first book because open prison is so different to Wandsworth and closed prisons, I thought you can't compare the two. But in time after time, I do. I I talk quite a bit about my time in open prison because that's another kind of madness because you go from like locked gates and huge guards and sniffer dogs and all the insane security of a high security prison to an open prison, which I compare to a shit butlins, basically. It's just just like uh, (laughs) porter cabins and um, like like fences that are like four foot high that you can step over and you're like, and there's no locks and there's, and the the problem with closed prisons is there's officers everywhere. Problem with open prisons is that you can never get an officer when you need one. There's like two officers on duty for the entire time. So the whole point of these places, they're resettlement centers that are supposed to integrate prisoners back into the outside world. Um, And, and, and it was great. Look, it was far better than Wandsworth because I could, um, I was doing a degree. I started, I did a degree in psychology and I could go out to a nearby university and just spend all day in the library studying psychology. And I knew guys who went and got jobs in pret I knew people who went and uh, who worked in building sites. People did community service. People went and, you know, br- brushed up on their sort of truck driving skills or whatever. So it meant that when they were finally released, they'd already started integrating. It wasn't that. Shove them out the gate with 50 quid onto a park bench they had a bit of money in their account they'd got a job they'd got back together with their wives they were seeing their kids so it's kind of easing people out the gate and all the evidence shows that if you go through open prison far less likely to reoffend far 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 less likely
0: jake's got a few questions should the emphasis be more on punishment or rehabilitation
1: oh well i think i'm very clear it should be on rehabilitation the thing is the thing i say to people and I'm, I'm sure you probably think this as well, like once you've been in prison a while, you kind of get used to it. It actually stops being awful. The only awful thing about it is, is missing your friends and family, and in particular your family. Like I, I, I had a son when I went away. So missing him was appalling from day one to the end. Didn't actually matter which prison I was in. I still missed him just as much. You could have taken me and put me in, in a holiday inn at the other end of the country, and it would have been awful because I wouldn't have seen my son so after a while it doesn't matter how much you brutalize people it's like the the separation from your family is so bad it's like you don't need to do much more to us to make us really suffer so the idea that you then have to really really turn the screw and lock people in their cells for 23 hours a day and have all this violence and all the brutalization you don't need it because it's we're being punished enough thank you very much so i think that is that should be taken into account and and much more focus on rehabilitation. Otherwise it would just create new victims. Oh when people sort of the Daily Mail readers get angry, I have arguments with them about soft prisons and stuff. And I just say, look, you're arguing against yourself because you're what you're doing by brutalizing prisoners so much is creating new victims of crime. So if you're on the side of victims, rehabilitate prisoners so they don't walk out and mug someone else.
0: Yeah, let's ask the viewers. Viewers, do you think prison should be about punishment? Put a one in the chat rehabilitation put a two in the chat I'm going to put a two in because when these guys get out they're going to be our neighbours do we want them angry and about to commit more crimes or do we want them rehabilitated law abiding citizens and the media manipulates the public because all they show is extreme crime so you see Lucy Letby and you want her to be punished Mm -hmm. but the vast majority of prisoners are non-violent probably got some kind of drug problem and um, yeah we've got a lot of twos in the chat right now and another so,
1: interesting and- point about media is 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 it's the holiday holiday camp myth myth holiday camp myth that the the daily Mail and the sun are always promoting this thing that oh it's having a life of riley and oh they're always eating pizzas and you know lags on holiday and stuff like that i mean prison is is so awful i mean suicides are at an all-time high in prison so the idea that they're holiday camps and it's soft justice is just it's just not the case they're absolutely barbaric places yeah, the
0: media focuses on the extreme crimes on one side and how easy they got it on the other. And it's yeah. all just designed to keep the public hating on the prison population. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Alright, so Jake, we we only got 2 minutes left. I might have to skip this question from Jake. Let's go over to Angela cuz it's
1: just probably got a short answer, here. What is the recidivism in the UK? Uh it's what do we say? It's 40. I always need to check the statistics on this. I have it in the inside of my book. 46% of ex-prisoners are reconvicted within one year of release. And for people on short sentences, it's 61%. So that's nearly two-thirds of people on short sentences are back inside within a year, which is absolutely terrifying. That's how much we're failing failing the public. Good grief.
0: Um, are there some crimes so terrible in this country
1: that they don't get the 50% discount? It's true. Yeah, life sentences. So if it, if if you've been convicted of murder or manslaughter, if it's a life tariff and some rape crimes get life, and I think quite, quite rightly, what the judge does is he says, you're in for life, but we're going to give you a minimum tariff. So for murder, it might be 20 years. And you've got to serve every one of those 20 years. And, then, and that's not even automatic release. You've then got to convince the parole board that you're safe to be released. And I think for very extreme crimes like murder, you know, I'm not going to argue against that.
0: All right, we have indeed run out of time. Chris, you're a very eloquent speaker. Do you want to tell the viewers where they can find you and support you and get your book?
1: Thank you very much, Sean. So yes, the new book is called Time After Time. It's out next week, but you can pre-order it now from Waterstones if you use the discount Time 20. And there's my podcast, which is called A Bit of a Stretch, in which I interview ex-prisoners about their time inside. I've just started releasing new episodes which are featuring some of the contributors in Time After Time. So some of those characters like the Fate Duke, people like that, I've interviewed them there in my prison po- podcast called A Bit of a Stretch.
0: Huge, thank you for coming on and we salute Thanks, your work. Cheers. Thank you, thank you so you, much for having me on. You. You're welcome.
1: Bye.